All right, guys, coming up right now is part two of the Devolution and Pence Card Roundtable. Hope you enjoy. To basically prove the hypothesis that there was a Fed surrection and then well, possibly to, implicating Schiff to himself. Be, to be fair, gentlemen, I mean, it could go both ways. I mean, it could be used. Or it both. could both. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think that, uh, you know, they're mutually exclusive. Yep. Sure. But I mean, the amendment he put forth specifically says, I mean, in the amendment that it's domestic military operations, like it, like just having some National Guard guy come in and talk about something like that. No, this but is the protection may, of the Capitol was a domestic military operation. If, if I may, I can read the the, the text of it. I've, I've got it pulled up right here and I can pull it up sure. for the audience. Awesome. OK, so. Uh, right here in the tweet from Julie Kelly, Schiff files amendment to the NDAA that would conceal any info collected by the U.S. military for use in congressional investigations or court proceedings. Massive attempt to cover up of enormous proportions and preemptive power grab to prevent GOP oversight next year. Amendment to Rules Committee print 117 to 54 offered by Mr. Schiff of California. Section 5. Exclusion of evidence obtained without prior authorization. Uh, Section 271 of Title 10, United States Code, is amended by adding at the end the following new subsection. Can I I interrupt there? Section 271 uh, of Title 10 is use of information collected during military operations. I mean, I think it's an important clarification. Okay, thank you. Uh, Notwithstanding any other provision of law, any information obtained by or with the assistance of a member of the armed forces in violation of section 1385 of title 18 shall not be received in evidence in any trial hearing or other proceeding in or before any court grand jury department officer agency regulatory body legislative committee or other authority of the United States a state or a political subdivision thereof which i would assume would uh, en- encapsulate washington dc as well uh, that's that's yeah, and, that's quite the brush that he that he yes. uh, paints that with. It's basically trying to provide cover so that anything collected by the NSA or any this is my is you're right. It's not mutually exclusive, but I'm also arguing that one of the military operations that they're referring to is the one conducted from whatever January seventh through whatever date in March that the National Guard deployed into protecting the Capitol and any collection that occurred of dod assets as it relates to that is probably one of the key key factors because at the end of the day adam schiff what's he been focused on the last four six years the whistleblower Cheramella, yeah. right the coup one the coup two the coup three so i mean let me let me ask what you other this. operations are you thinking of john well uh, perhaps an overarching military perhaps. intelligence operation like that's devolution been taking, yeah, yeah like devolution or you know <laughs> any other such uh, uh type of operation that might have been happening during the uh, tenure of president trump's presidency that, that was my teeing you up john yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay so you know uh, i think that actually uh, is uh, is quite a good argument um is, is there any other insight you can give us on uh, adam schiff's amendment there has he had any uh, public statements on this john uh not that i know of um you know the big thing for me okay so the, the way january 6th went down trump authorized the use of the uh, of the national guard but he wasn't the one to actually get them called in that was uh it, it was eventually approved by or called in by, uh, was it Nancy Pelosi or, or Bowser? I don't even remember who it was. I, I read that part quite a while ago. And so that being said, that I, I don't think that would technically be 
in violation of the Posse Comitatus Act, which is what that what that amendment says when it when it says, you know, anything, any member of the armed forces in violation of Section 1385 of Title 18, Section 1385 is the use of army and air force as posse comitatus. And there's only two ways you can authorize that. And that's either uh, Congress or the, the president, essentially. Right. And so we know we know Congress didn't do it. Otherwise, Adam Schiff wouldn't care that they were called in. Adam Schiff wouldn't have put this bill forth if he was the one that called them in. And so that I mean, it basically logically, you can assume that it was the president at the time, Trump, who, who allowed this, you know, what they call a violation of posse comitatus um, and, and some sort of domestic military operation. And since Trump wasn't the one who actually ordered the National Guard to be there or to come in and stop the insurrection on the 6th, I think that's unrelated to whatever Adam Schiff was trying to do here with this amendment. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can I give a little? So I spent 17 years uh, in the National Guard of various states, Iowa, New York, Massachusetts, Mississippi, and Texas. So the way that federal forces can be deployed so that they're not violating the Posse Comitatus Act is for the governor to request. And a lot of times that's called, you know, basically claiming a state of emergency. Once that occurs, that's the formal request to the federal executive, meaning the commander, federal commander in chief, giving the federal commander in chief the authority to deploy federal forces to that state. It has to come with the approval of the governor. In the case of D.C., it's a little bit unique, but let's just it's kind of a quasi federal and state entity, particularly when it comes to the National Guard, the D.C. National Guard. It's got this quasi dual triple role. So for the National Guard of D.C. to be deployed, the D.C. National Guard actually reports to the Office of the Secretary of Defense because D.C. is a federal entity. However, for them to be deployed, it has to be with the approval of the mayor, just like a governor would, right? And if it is to deploy them in within D.C., for a non-executive branch support mission, meaning Article One branch of government, Congress, or for, uh, say, a court, the Article Three branch of government, it has to come from the approval of the lead entity of that particular other branch of government. So in the instance of the Capitol, it has to come with the approval of that Capitol Police Board, by extension, the Speaker of the House, and the Senate Majority Leader, because those are the two leaders of the two subdivisions of the Article One branch of governor, government, the legislature. And they do that via a support role to the Capitol Police Board, meaning the Capitol Architect and the two sergeants at arms and the U.S. Capitol Police. So the only way that you can deploy the D.C. National Guard, and Cash went into it a little bit in his documentary on Epoch Times, but I don't think he went he, he didn't cover the entire gamut of it. The, the, the commander in chief, President Trump, through his secretary of defense, can authorize the use. Like it's a two way street. The yeah. governor or the D.C. mayor can request, but you're not getting anything until also, the, you know, it takes two to tango the president to deploy. So he preemptively said, yeah, for January 6th, you can have, according to Cash Patel and Chris Miller. Uh, up to 20,000 National Guard troops from D.C. 
those are the only ones that he has the authority over is the D.C. National Guard. The yeah. only way to incorporate the National Guard from other states is for that governor to then say that you can be used in support of a federal mission. That's another component. So for the 20,000 from the D.C. National Guard, he offered them up. But the D.C. mayor on January 5th said what in their memo? No executive branch law enforcement. And if you can pull this up, Zach, that'd be great. No executive branch is allowed to come in without my express approval, meaning the mayor. That created this scenario that we had of a sparsely secured capital, meaning you didn't have any federal law enforcement from DOD, DHS, or DOJ officially allowed on the Capitol grounds or within the jurisdiction of the D.C., uh, excuse me, U.S. Capitol Police, which extends beyond the RNC and DNC, to be able to be deployed to support it. The only way that they could was at the moment that they then approved it. When the mayor said yes, Nancy Pelosi said yes, Mitch McConnell said yes. And that yes occurred after the most almost entirely peaceful rally uh, moved from outside to the inside of the Capitol. Let, let, let me take this uh, in a, a, a similar direction here, but slightly different. John, uh, what did you think about uh, Ivan's theorizing that perhaps, um, you know, on January 6th, there could have been a, a stealth or a clandestine implementation of the 25th Amendment uh, to uh, to allow Mike Pence to take on those, some of those presidential powers that people have kind of been asking about recently as to why he did that. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, it was right after that, not long after they tried to get Pence. I mean, it was Pelosi who they did this whole thing with Congress where they tried to get everybody to like, hey, let's do a vote and have an urge Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. And and so uh, why would they even bother if you'd already been 25th Amendment? Right. And then plus right. there's a, there's a slew of executive orders that came out after January 6th. And those are all still in President Trump's name. So mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't buy that. Yeah, so just to clarify, I wasn't arguing that it, it occurred. I was arguing that the only way that he could have done it legally was to invoke the 25th Section 4, which I agree 100% with John that it, all evidence shows that it did not occur. There's not a single shred of evidence showing that there's it, it, it could have occurred. Yeah, Many layers. You, well, you my, just added a few more. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my take on the, 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 the six, okay, so they knew it was going to be a setup. Um, you know, DC Congress, everybody, they wanted the, the peaceful protest, the riots, how everything went down to go down that way to make it look much worse than it was. I mean, if, if the military was there, none of it would have happened. Right. And so Trump authorized exactly. the military to be there. And when Pence was like, get the military down here, that was him almost being like fed up with like, you guys have let this go on long enough. We, we already know this is bullshit. Get the military down here now. Like, I don't think that was him ordering it. Um, I think it just, it got to the point where, you know, he he's finally fed up and like make this happen uh, but yeah the 25th amendment was never invoked and but but still the, the whole fact that they they did the 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 whole thing on the 6 and the vote was you know supposedly certified and cemented for Biden but then immediately after that not only were they calling for him to be you know 25th amendmented they wanted the uh I don't even know if that's a word amendmented probably not <laughs> no no but, it is now yeah, yeah. <laughs> they we wanted that invoked. yeah they, they wanted the you know the nukes taken away from Trump they they rushed to impeach this guy. I, I everything tells me that they thought Trump was going to do something to prevent Biden from taking office, 
and and I believe he had every right and, and reason to do so because I do believe that he caught a foreign interference in our election and collusion with the Biden administration and the Democrats and members of Congress to get this thing put through. But instead, he surprised everybody by just walking away. I, I literally think they were caught off guard just as much as we were, because I don't know. I mean, how many people in this audience, maybe even you yourself, did you expect Trump to just walk away on the 20th? I didn't. I, I've never even followed Q. I mean, I've read some drops since since I started this, but never fully dove in. But I still thought, like, there's no way Trump would just walk away from this. He he said himself so many times, like, if if we are right about the fraud, Joe Biden can't be president. I mean, how many times did he say something along those lines? And so I think everybody, including the left and and Trump's enemies, our enemies, I think they believed that that Trump had him, but he did something instead. He walked away. Did he really just leave us hanging? I don't think so. Yeah, I, Ivan, I got to say, I, I was one of those people. I was right there with John on the 20th. I was shocked when he left and uh, and Joe Biden came in, you know, especially him walking away with the nuclear football. I thought that that was just absolutely insane. I I would actually like to get your thoughts on uh, on why that may have happened. You know, if President Trump wasn't still retaining some level of power and, and if he wasn't putting some backup plan into play or maybe even the 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 a plan just not saying it publicly you know what reason would he have for walking away with that nuclear football for joe biden getting locked out of the white house uh you know there's a number of strange things that happened that day yeah i think the the by january 7th once congress essentially i argue also acquiesced and and consummated their violation of the constitution the institutional inertia was created so that Trump really had no option at that point. He had to he had to step aside because you had the those staffers in the White House were already given up. You had the campaign already giving up. Most of these folks, there just wasn't the mechanism for him to remain. And there's, I argued back in November after the election and said, you know what, this is going to get fixed. But every day we wait to fix this, it's going to become more and more painful and much harder to do. And so the easiest time to have fixed it was before January 6th. The next hardest time was between January 7th and 20th. That's when I argued the emergency alert system to be able to articulate. Because I think it was on January, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember when it was. It was January 7th when DNI Radcliffe put out his public assessment finally regarding yep. the executive order one, one, three, eight, four, eight. Yeah. So and he said the, yeah. the mem- that, that executive order, you know, that it was due on the 18th of December, but of December. It, and that's when I argued that that needed to be published and all this other. Yep. Yep. It, it came out though, that, you know, the intelligence community, they were delaying publishing their review because there was dissent. I mean, they weren't, couldn't agree. They waited till January 7th to publish that report. And so that came out, but on the same day, actually they didn't even publish it then. It didn't get published till March, but they presented it to Congress that day. And then that same day is when, um, Ratcliffe came out with his, his own memos. Like I disagree, you know, and, and he basically proved in that memo that there was some sort of cyber foreign interference because he specifically called out that, the NEO from from cyber is the one that was disagreeing and he was not the lone voice, but that's who he specifically mentioned. So, but yeah, anyway, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So December 18th, I, I when I was putting this, this plan together, right. The critical dates were November 3rd, December 8th, December 14th, December 18th, what we're talking about now, December 23rd, and then uh, January 3rd when Congress was seated and then January 6th for the certification. 
So December 18th, they had 45 days, right? That was on December 18th. They didn't do it. I argue is because you had John Brennan lackeys in the CIA. Remember, the 39 individuals that uh, collectively signed that the Politico article that published a memo about that the Hunter Biden laptop story was the had all the earmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. Those that same ecosystem, I argue, were the ones behind doing the slow roll because the evidence sure. was probably there, and they didn't want to have it out there before uh, the certification because it would have an impact uh, potentially for, sure. for a few members of Congress to go ahead and object even more. And so they had to delay it until afterwards, which was illegal because it violated the executive order. I mean, you had multiple layers of coup, slow rolling and friction creation amongst various levels, both sides of the aisle within the institutions. And that was just another example. So when it came out, he Radcliffe basically said China involvement. And then if you go to the DNI's website now, you can see the publicly facing unclassified intel community assessment related to the election. Talks about China, talks about Russia, talks about uh, Iran. It talks about uh, Venezuela, I believe. And then there's another one related to Hezbollah on uh, all those different layers of potential interference in the election. But yet, the faux news, mainstream media always says nothing to see here, and they're lackeys at big tech. Uh, so, if, yeah, if yeah. I may, I just need to say thank you to uh, Brent Cates uh, out in the audience. He sent over a tweet, which is a video showing foreign operatives uh, operating on U.S. soil. It says May 31st, uh, rioters outside the White House and a man in Mandarin Chinese. Uh, hang on, let me go to it. Uh, says, go, go, hurry up, leave quickly. Uh, and uh, they tag real Donald Trump and Secretary Pompeo saying that they need to investigate ro- what role the CCP is playing on U.S. soil. Uh, I'm not going to play it because it's just a, a loud, um, you know, riot taking place outside the White House. But, um, you know, I just think that this adds uh, more fuel to the argument that uh, there very easily could have been some type of military operation taking place on U.S. soil outside of whatever happened on January 6th. And if I might, uh, I also remember seeing reports after January 6th talking about how specific federal agencies and specific military agencies had operatives on the ground uh, in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, um, performing a number of different duties. We, we don't exactly know what they were, um, but, uh, you know, this could very easily be, you know, the kind of stuff that that uh, uh, Adam Schiff does not want to get into the congressional record uh, based upon who might have been leading them, who was giving them their orders and directives and such. Yeah, I need to add something. So, okay, I have uh, quite a few people. They, you know, they know what I'm working on and what I'm focused in on, and they know I'm an attorney as well. And so they reached out to me. There were several people that have been contacted by the FBI with certain lines of questioning. And when you start to gather all of this buried FBI agents with their line of questioning, you kind of get start to put a picture together of what they're going after. One of the individuals that reached out to me um, basically said that he was asked if he was carrying a an Imsi grabber. And if you don't know what an Imsi, if he was on at the Capitol on the 6th and if he had an Imsi grabber, for those that are not aware of what an Imsi grabber is, it is a tool that is the conduit in between a cell phone tower and all the devices that would be interacting with that cell phone tower, meaning you could sniff out all communications 
between those devices and that cell phone tower. Imagine if he had that, wouldn't he be able to basically lay out all the comms between the DC mayor, Metropolitan Police Chief, the Secret Service, right? Mm. All those different cell phones. Sergeant at Arms House, Sergeant at Arms Senate, Nancy Pelosi, Michael Voss, John Sullivan, Ray Epps, and any other federal assets that were in the vicinity of the Capitol to then have very compelling evidence to showcase a Fed surrection and specific devices attached to specific individuals in the vicinity of the Capitol. Is that maybe why they're trying to find out and maybe seize that capability? Maybe. Uh, The reason why they targeted him is because in his previous capacity, this individual uh, had done just that uh, on behalf of the military. And he had access to potentially supposedly had access to it uh, in his current role, but he was not anywhere near the Capitol, nor had anything to do with that uh, capability. But it's interesting that they approached him asking him, if he had that capability. Sure. So there Just may be somebody case. out there. What's that? Just in case. Did you happen to be there Just on January 6th? Just in case, because we don't want to be implicated maybe, right? Yeah, we they need to scoop that up. Um, I, I kind of want to uh, uh, switch gears here, guys, because we are, you know, looking at, you know, uh, just another half hour tops. But That's I, it? I, well, <laughs> that'll be two hours. That'll be two hours. <laughs> um, I wanted to, I, I wanted to get uh, uh, your individual thoughts on Durham uh, because – um, you know, uh, uh, Ivan, a lot of your research is based upon relationships and, and the way that people came into government. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of people out here watching the show right now, we have really believed that John Durham uh, was working on something special. You know, John Durham is going to be this linchpin uh, that kind of delivers for us. So, so, John, I want you to begin. And uh, based upon your research, please tell us what your opinion of John Durham is and, and what you're expecting here. Yeah, I mean, I think he's the real deal. And honestly, I don't even think he's the the only show in town doing in the investigation. There's a, a some stuff I'm digging into. Um, if it goes where I think it's going to go, it'll probably be the subject of my next article. So I'm not going to go too far into the weeds on that. But uh, based on everything I've seen, I, I expect this to go where we all hope it does. And I think it's there's a timing aspect to, to this. And there's a timing aspect to everything, you know. But it seems now there's so much more. It's, it's heating up. It's ramping up. Trump's rhetoric is also ramping up. And so I do think... I do think Durham's going to end up being the guy that we've been hoping he's going to be. So, I mean, I guess I, I don't really have too much more to go on that. And, to, and maybe once I hear Ivan talk, I can expand upon that. Please. Yeah. Go ahead, Ivan. Yeah, so I, I just like you guys would love for Durham to just go ahead and start crushing those that deserve it. Right. Absolutely. Here's the problem. How fast did the FBI arrest and prosecute those that participated in January 6th. It was immediate. So when something's important, it's going to happen real quick. When it's not important, you slow roll it. What did Mark Burnamich do as the attorney general in Arizona related to that illegal election? Absolutely nothing. At the very end, he tried to save himself in his Senate seat campaign, like a couple weeks prior saying, hey, look, I'm going to come up with a report. Well, too little, too late. Apply that to John Durham. Like, what has he done, honestly? My argument is that he is literally just creating the facade of movement by the institutions to essentially off-gas folks so that our side of the aisle is just below boil. 
thinking that, oh, look, John Durham's there. He's going to do something. He's going to go after all these, uh, all the folks involved in, in Russiagate and Spygate, right? What has he done? We had the Sussman trial. The, I mean, we all know if you're going to bring a case in D.C., 96% of a jury voted for Clinton. You think 90, you're going to get a fair trial in, in, a, in a city that's so hyper-partisan in one aspect? Not at all. You're never, you're, the only time you're going to get a potentially fair trial is if it's a judge trial with a, you know, a kind of a nonpartisan judge or a more constitutionally minded judge and not manipulated by the mainstream media. So, so d- d- a lot of people your- say that the, like Cash Patel is going to disagree with me based on what he's been saying publicly. I get his argument. He's hoping that this is going to occur. I just don't see that the movement is there for, for him to do anything. So I was in the courtroom when, uh, during the Sussman trial, uh, kind of observing things. I happened to listen in on what was discussed in the hallways. That's just what I do to get some atmospherics. And I think what's going to happen is they're, they're going to indict and find guilty. The uh, What's that Russian guy's name? Donchenko? Uh, yeah, yeah Donchenko. They're going to find him guilty. Okay, great. Where is he? He's in Russia somewhere, right? Okay, so you, okay, you're going to prosecute him. You're going to convict him. You're going to give him the death penalty. Meanwhile, Donchenko is going to be like, all right, cool. I don't need to go to the United States. You got no jurisdiction over me. I'm going to go um, sit here and you know live lavishly however I want to while you prosecute me. Meanwhile, in the court of public opinion in the mainstream, phone news is going to be like, oh, look, Durham's kicking butt. Lindsey Graham is going to go up on, on, on phone news and say, look, we're doing something. John Durham's doing something. Look here. Let's get, let, let's get sorry, John here. I get well, well, just, <laughs> is, so is, is your opinion that he's like running cover for them or like, yeah, part, just part of the establishment and everything. I think he's just running cover for the DOJ, and the, it's because the witnesses that were called in the Sussman trial were Bill Priestap and uh, James Baker. Uh, they were basically there to kind of make it look like something was there, but not it's cover for the FBI and DOJ. That's all it is. Well, I don't. Know, I, I disagree. I mean, if he's running cover for him, why is he doing anything at all? I mean, he he could have he could have published a report and sailed off into the sunset uh, and the report could have been a nothing burger but but instead what we've gotten from durham so far i mean he's exposed the the alpha bank hoax he's added so many more names of the people from this conspiracy to it like chuck dolan rodney jaffe all the georgia institute researchers all these fbi agents that we didn't know about he's exposed well, you, you had to blame someone okay They're but blaming somebody i'm not done yet he's exposed spying all the way up to the executive office of the president right and showed that they were spying on a literal president and he's showed that, I mean, okay, Mark Elias, he appe- he's appeared before a grand jury. And in his testimony in the Sussman trial, he was basically constrained not to say much because he didn't want to risk perjuring himself from that prior testimony. And so that means Durham is actually using the, the crime fraud exception to the attorney-client privilege, meaning he basically broke through the attorney-client privilege between Clinton and her lawyers, which is absolutely massive when you think of stuff going forward he, he proved that crime and fraud were reasons for those communications and he broke that privilege robbie mook came out and admitted basically that the clinton approved of everything with the alpha alpha gate stuff and all this there, there's proof of this all going all the way up to obama um he laid out the full conspiracy proving collusion between the mainstream media dnc hillary clinton all the subcontractors everything and so if he's running cover for him he's doing a shit job because <laughs> like all this stuff has come out and when none of it had to, if he's actually running cover, it's the same thing people say about like, you know, again, I'm not a Q guy, but people are like, oh, Q's a deep state psyop. 
it'd be a terrible deep state side. How many people have woken up? Same thing with, <laughs> with, with Durham here. It's exposed so much and there's still so much more to come. I don't see how it could possibly be a nothing burger. My question though is what consequence has been created for any of those individuals that you just mentioned? We haven't seen the end what of this punishment? yet though. When this is all the way done, it, like however long it takes, when this is all said and done and Durham wraps everything up, if there's been no consequences, I'll eat crow for this. But we, until we see that. If there are with, consequences, I will gladly eat as much crow as possible. <laughs> Trust me. I, I look forward to that. <laughs> I, 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 I pray you're right. I just, my gut feeling tells me that he's just there to provide cover and then just extend it out and extend it out. Are we going to get to the raid stuff? Uh, yeah, we can go ahead and jump to the raid. Um, yeah, so uh, obviously we just had uh, Tim Tebow removed from the FBI. He was directly involved in several key investigations, uh, working to unseat <laughs> President Trump and keep stuff quiet. Uh, you know, what's your estimation of the raid there, Ivan? No, John, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> of the of the raid, I mean, the raid there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stuff to this. I mean, with the Scavino Post. Uh, on the fifth, the same day that they signed the warrant. Let's do that. Yeah, get, let's go through this because these the, the proofs on this are pretty amazing, especially when you look at the photos they released earlier. <laughs> it, it's it, that's interesting. I mean, so Dan Scavino, it, it, I think it was five hours before the timestamp on the signing of the warrant, released that picture of the Trump's door with the forty-five on it, and, and that's when the warrant was signed for them to go in here. Okay, so do, do you remember the Roger Stone uh, raid? Yes. The, the mainstream do. media, I mean, there's a video from the surveillance camera where I spoke with C- Roger Stone a couple of weeks or something before that happened. Yeah, but it's so <laughs> interesting that the, there's a, a surveillance recording of the CNN truck pulling up 15 minutes before the raid starts, right? They publicized the hell out of that thing. Yeah. You think they would ever pass on an opportunity to publicize a raid on President Trump when for the past six years they've been screaming that he's a this huge national security threat and all this stuff? They wouldn't pass on that. The person who broke the story of the Trump raid was Trump himself when he posted about it on Truth Social. Trump and his team has been in control of the narrative of this whole thing, and it's all it's done is just completely expose the FBI, and we have this guy getting fired from it. Whatever is going on here, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I know all the details here because I, I don't, but on the surface level, it does appear that there is some level of Trump and his allies maybe being in a little bit more control over this this raid than possible. And it kind of ties into the, the theory I'm digging into that there's something that there's another type of investigation situation going on behind the scenes. That's interesting. And then the whole special master thing, there's a special master appointed to the Rudy Giuliani um, to the project Veritas case to yep. gosh, there's, there's one more. I went over this with uh, just human on my show a, a couple of weeks ago. It's the same special master for all three of them. They got a special master um, appointed to this, the, Trump not isn't yet, support- not yet. They're, they're requesting. The they're requesting. Yep. Yesterday was the response. We're, we're getting there, but it'll be interesting to see if it's the same one. But uh, Trump isn't even supposedly uh, the the target of of this investigation, if I'm not mistaken. All this stuff that was was already declassified. I mean, th- there's something bigger going on here than than obviously what the mainstream media is portraying. So it's just it's super interesting. We are the mainstream. They're not like so. Check this out. As I articulate this, can you bring up the last two pages of the response memo, Zach, from yesterday that was put out by the DOJ for the uh, special ma- master? I think there's a critical component in there that'll give us insight on what their end game is. So here's what I'm thinking. The raid, and I, Cash came out with it yesterday. I agree with him on this. And a lot of people are kind of agreeing with this. 
The reason for the raid is to seize all the evidence that was declassified related to Crossfire Hurricane and Crossfire Razor that Trump can use in his RICO case against those very same individuals that are seizing those that that evidence, right? Yeah. And if you remember, General Flynn a couple of months ago gave the indication that he's filing a fifty million dollar lawsuit against those same people as well for what they did to him with uh, uh, going after him. So imagine you have these declassified documents that are now going to be used in those two cases to come after the DOJ and FBI to expose the entire operation. That's literally exactly what the FBI did with the raid on Project Veritas. They went in there to seize all the evidence that Project Veritas was going to use against the very own FBI to prosecute them. I mean, it's just, this is like third world thuggery at its finest, right? Problem is, is that you have a lot of FBI officials coming forward as whistleblowers that are going to uh, expose the truth. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, let's be honest. You have thousands and thousands of folks out there in the Bureau. Uh, You have probably, you know, half a dozen, maybe let's just say a couple of dozen bad actors, maybe a little bit more. They have staff and, and you know, agents and sub-agents and, and staff members that kind of know what's going on, but they're not the ones complicit in it. And if the court of public opinion, i.e. us, applies enough public exposure to them and their offices, they their safest path is to kind of to be the whistleblower to then expose all this illegal activity by their bosses, right? Covering and that's what we're saying. First wave came out. Sorry. Covering themselves before that proverbial shit rolls downhill. Um, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Like you guys are instrumental. You guys have massive platforms to call for more. I mean, and Trump's doing it this week. Whistleblow, whistleblow, whistleblow. I was last week. I was like, hey, that was my answer. I was going to answer you. Like, how do we fix this? And I didn't really get to it on your show last week. And it was literally, we need to maximize the motivation for whistleblowers to come forward. Specifically, Joseph Pienta the Third sure. is my number one draft pick. So, if, if I may, I, I've got the uh, uh, the response from the government pulled up here, and just going back to the the point about Durham, and you know, I mean, although we may not have had a victory in the Michael Sussman case, I mean, we showed that you simply cannot have a case like this that is presided over in Washington D.C. because nobody can be impartial there. And the information that was revealed through that case, no matter what the verdict for Michael Sussman was, uh, did give tremendous, um, I guess, ammunition to President Trump. I mean, you know, it it allowed him to add a ton more people to his RICO case. Uh, And I think that, you know, again, that's one of those things that is kind of, yeah, it's playing out. And that's certainly not something that John Durham playing cover for the government uh, should have allowed to get out if that's truly what he's doing. And I think that if you take a look at Durham's record and the specific cases, the 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 the, the, uh, the really high profile uh, cases, which kind of coincide directly with organized crime and government corruption, I think he's the perfect person to really unravel this uh, to its logical conclusion, which uh, I believe is going to be the total destruction of the deep state. But We've got here that uh, that affidavit. I so, pray you're right. 
Yeah. But I think you're wrong. Okay. So so we're looking we're looking here at uh is this the reason why the court should not appoint a special master, but if it does, these are the conditions. Can you bring it up on the screen, Zach? And uh, then yeah. let's go to bullet three, the third reason there. I think let it may me, be the second to last page. Let me share this with you. Okay. All right. There you go. So can you see that? It's coming up. I'm gonna have to Yes, perfect. Page Where it says in the middle, third, the court should speci- so this is basically the response by the federal uh, government by the government on why there should not be a special master. So they're providing cover here. So third, the court should specify the following duties mm-hmm. and impose the following limitations if the court decides to go with the special master. This is like their backstop. Worst case scenario, if the special master does happen to be appointed, the- these are the parameters that they're trying to get the judge to agree to. And this is probably what's going to happen. The special master's duty should be limited to ass- assessing plaintiff's claims of attorney-client privilege over the set of potentially privileged documents identified by the privilege review team. For the reasons articulated above, there's no precedence. Uh, let's see here. Or basis for yes. appointing a special master to review documents or for executive privilege and barring current executive branch law enforcement officials or officers from continuing to access that material including to assess national security risks. So they're trying to provide cover there. And then if you go there, the special master must be permitted to review classified documents, meaning they have to have a top secret clearance currently. Mm -hmm. That means that they have leverage over the individual already because if they don't abide by their rules, they're just going to go ahead and say, you know what, you're going to lose your clearance if you go outside your bounds. That's my assessment of that. And then the next one, it says the special master should be allowed to communicate ex parte, meaning they want this totally under the radar, not for public consumption, mm-hmm. so that the client does not, like, or the, it says ex parte with the court or either party to facilitate the review. And then under seal uh, is the next, basically, what is it? Next bullet on the next page. Mm-hmm. Uh, should be preserved and filed under seal. All that to me leads to the assessment that these guys are going to return the attorney-client privilege material that has been claimed to be as part of that, but they're only going to return the one the material that does not implicate themselves, i.e. the really juicy stuff in Crossfire Hurricane, Crossfire Razor. And that's their play. I'd like to hear you and John and John's perspective. Yeah, John. Well. Yeah, that, that's just what they're requesting, though. I mean, we'll have to wait and see what the the judge actually decides. I mean, because the, right. the judge can the judge can turn down all that stuff, you, you know. So, um, yeah, I guess. I mean, obviously, they're going to attempt to cover the, themselves as as much as they possibly can. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if the judge actually falls through with that. You know what? Uh, my my opinion of this is I find it highly unlikely that President Trump would be the only person in possession of these documents. And if the federal government, the FBI, the deep state in the in the FBI and the DOJ, if they really want to cover this up, uh, this is really a Hail Mary. If they're going on the assumption that President Trump is the only person who has these. I mean, they have been declassified. Who says they haven't been given to any number of other people uh, that were you know, good actors in his administration uh, or that they're not in the possession of people that are still in the federal government? And considering that we have this recent spate of whistleblower activity taking place and even more importantly, Merrick Garland just telling the entirety of the DOJ that they can't talk to Congress 
uh, specifically so that they can't engage in whistleblowing activity. Uh, you know, I, I find it very unlikely that this is not going to uh, continue any farther. Well, if if these documents were the ones that were declassified for the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, then D- Durham would have these right. and any other investigation that's going on behind the scenes. So it, it's almost laughable to me when I think about like Trump just taking all these super top secret documents to his place that he's just going to hoard to himself, like sure. stuff that, you know, other people need or whatever. I mean, first of all, these were all declassified anyway, but it's just, just the narrative that they are trying to paint around this whole thing is just it, it's it's honestly laughable. And when you look at what the rate has done for the public optics, I mean, everybody was so pissed off. Truth Social had like a 500% user increase the sure. day after. I mean, this, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it, why they're canceling both sides them of, off of, of Apple probably today. And yesterday yeah. they did off Google. You, you have just... both sides of Congress coming out, you know, against this raid. That's that's a huge, massive win for the optics. And everything that we've seen unfold since January 20th has been a, a battle for the narrative. And I really like th- these past six months, especially if not maybe even eight months, whatever it's been. We've been totally kicking ass in the in the narrative warfare side of things, and right. it's only getting better. So it, it's yeah. it's going to be an interesting conclusion here leading up to the the midterms. I, I absolutely no, it, agree it, on that, it, Ivan. If I may, I absolutely agree, and and, and I think that uh, you know this is an even greater argument for the fact that we are in an orchestrated maneuver here. I mean, if we're really going to fix the FBI, if we're going to fix the DOJ. The, the full corruption that's endemic in those agencies has to be put out there on display in a clearly desperate move like what we just witnessed. Um, and now this removal of this agent who oversaw some of the most partisan political maneuverings that we've had in decades, uh, you know, all of it put out there on public display for the American people, uh, people that otherwise maybe never would have learned about any of this stuff, didn't, didn't listen to our shows, hasn't been following any of these substacks. You know, now all of a sudden they're like, wow, everything that, you know, my crazy conspiracy theory brother has been talking about for the last six years is completely true. And now (laughs) my mind is blown and uh, I need to learn more about it. Uh, So I think that it's going to force the restructuring of these agencies. uh, And it's been done, you know, essentially at their own hand. So if I may say this, uh, I think there might be a happy medium on how this takes place. I think the deep state's going to keep, they're going to keep trying to cover themselves. They're going to return documents to make it look in the court of public opinion. They're like, oh yeah, we agree. We overreached. See, we returned the documents. Meanwhile, in reality, they're going to keep the most sensitive documents that would have implicated them. And then when you hear, I think it was yesterday or the day day before, Lindsey Graham coming out and saying, if they arrest Trump, They'll be right on the streets. I think that's an indication to the establishment rhino base saying that, hey, hey, Uniparty in the DOJ and uh, FBI, I serve on the Judiciary Committee. I am giving the public indication that you, you can't go and arrest Trump, but you can go ahead and just seize the documents that don't implicate you because those same documents probably will implicate Lindsey Graham, in my opinion. Because yep. he, he I, had to provide top cover as a member of the Senate Judiciary. I just don't see any other way. Well, I, I still, I still think these, different, the the, these documents have there. been declassified, though. So even even if they keep them, like like you said, Trump is the only one that has these. They're going to come out regardless. I hope you're right. But, I'm not sure. Well, also, that's imagine- why this... I was Go just going to say, sorry, imagine the optics. Please. If the FBI t- takes some of these documents, 
and hoards them, pretending that they were never even at Trump's uh, residence to begin with, and then makes a full accounting of, you know, hey, this is what we have. And then somebody else comes out and says, actually, you know, these are the documents that they kept out of the American eye and that they didn't give back to President Trump. It's going to be even more damning and incriminating. John? Yeah, um, I don't remember what I was going to say. I'm sorry, dude. No, no, but I'm saying no, it's... the FBI, <laughs> yeah. they have a stenographer They're called the DC Disinformation Board, the Slimes, <laughs> or excuse me, the, the Compost, and then the New York Disinformation Board, the Slimes. Unfortunately, they have the biggest reach for now. And so it's it's more difficult than I think you guys are presenting. Well, but the Washington Post is having difficulty paying has. their bills. Uh, they have fallen below their minimum required subscription uh, run in order for them to uh, <laughs> uh, remain in the black. So I don't know. They might not be around much longer. You guys, we are coming to the end of follow the Red second Pill, hour. Follow <laughs> tell Patriot, get off of faux news. Just get yourselves off of slimes, off of compost. Yeah, sorry. Good. Awesome. You're good, man. You're good. Let me let me run through some of these thank yous, and then I want to get final words from both you guys. Thanks again to Brent Cates. Uh, also, Low Country Brooklyn dropped uh, that C-SPAN link, and Leanne early in the show said, thank you for all you do, Zach. Always appreciate your hard work and all that you went through to get uh, sanity to MAGA. John is awesome, too. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And then over on the foxhole, let me see if there was any final questions. Uh, Amon, he said, if you're going to keep doing daily Razor episodes, I think Ivan would be a good co-host. Uh, Dixie, thank you for the cookie. Your boy Death says, I've been waiting for this. Our Cloaked Unseen World says, Red Pill going to send you a DM on the foxhole in five minutes with the decode involving this video after the show. I'll look for it. Uh, Boise Blanc 89, Nina Rocks, Elizabeth G says, thank you, Zach, for bringing all of this together. Average Joe Patriot says, happy belated birthday, RP. Got my popcorn ready. Uh, Chops ITMC says, opinion on contingent election soon. I would like... Uh, to get something from you guys on this. Uh, John, a- any opinions on this? President Trump recently uh, stating outright that we need uh, a do-over on the election because clearly there was political stuff happening behind the scenes. The FBI put their thumb on the scale. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because he never said nationwide. I mean, what if what if it's more of a six. House of Representatives okay. election? You know, who, again, I've speculated from day one that I can... I can put forth all sorts of circumstantial evidence that devolution has been put in place, but how this plays out is anybody's guess. Sure. It could be something from decertification to just those states rerunning elections. I mean, there might not even be a, an election at all. Maybe they just decertify and somebody awards a Trump. I don't know. There's any. There's hundreds of different possibilities, but I do think we're heading towards some sort of climax here where something's got to give, and I do think it needs to happen before the midterms because the way things are looking right now, it doesn't matter how big the red wave. We had a red wave in 2020. They still stole it. I think we need to do everything we can. And if Trump does have what we think he has, I think it's an unnecessary risk for him to let it go that far. Not to say he wouldn't. I mean, there's there's plenty of smarter people than me out there that think that this is till 2024. Again, it's just not my opinion, but we'll we'll see we'll see what what, what it's happens. It's not here. 2024, and I've I've put out a, a pathway and plan, which many I think more and more people kind of get it. But January of 2023 is going to be pretty spicy, okay. <laughs> and it's going to be very yeah. spicy. I think three states are going to go ahead and nullify DCERT with their new governor slash secretaries of state. I would guess that those three states would be Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan. That removes 30, over 37 electoral votes from the previous uh, selected resident, bringing legitimacy below 260, 269 or 270, if you will. And then that triggers the 12th Amendment with the new 118th Congress. Speaker Trump is in office for 17 days. And during those 17 days, he does the following. He holds a vote to nullify the two previous 
impeachments. He holds uh, six articles of impeachment against Jeden, three against Kamala Harris, so far anyway. I got drafts of them. I'm probably going to put these out on Substack, the details of this. And then after that, after 17 days C-SPAN uncensored, he's going to go ahead and convince the entire country during those 17 days via Congress as Speaker amongst all the different committees 24-7 of those that have TDS, they're going to wake up and say, oh my gosh, I've been lied to for the last six years. This guy deserves a second term. And that's when the articles of impeachment are transmitted over to the Senate. And then they hold a 12th Amendment vote for a reinstatement. Simple. And in devolution is fulfilled without even having to say it out loud to the American public. <laughs> All right. Continuing on. Continuing on. Uh, Warrior Mima says a uh, little something to wash down that cookie. I appreciate that. Also said uh, the deep state has been trying to get us to a constitutional crisis for a long time. We want new elections. I, I too, have said for a while uh, that I believe that uh, this is only going to happen once we get to that new Congress, because we have a very different set of uh, of legislators that are going to be coming in here uh, in the midterms and, you know, across the board in the states. Uh, Matt1776 says, amazing panel, Patel and Ivan, good to see you guys. Warrior Mima says, there are Trump executive orders that have not been acted upon and have not been rescinded uh, by Biden. Uh, Rise Attire says, Pence's wife did get one of those envelopes letters. That's a huge question mark. That's <laughs> something that I wanted to ask you guys about, but I think we're going to have to save that for next time. Uh, Popcorn, uh, thank you for the can. Spicy Chemist says, Red Pill, I agree with Ivan. I didn't trust Trump at the time. I only voted for him because of Pence. Okay. Uh, Boise Blanc says, one of the best panels ever. And then Warrior Mima says, uh, Zach, need to go overtime on this panel. Let me, it, do, John, do you do you have time? Is that okay if I ask you guys yeah. about the, the envelopes? Um, go ahead. Tell me, tell me what you think about that. And I, if you don't mind that coin that Pence got the day of uh, January 6th as well. Okay. For the envelopes. Has yes. anybody come forth and said what is in the envelopes? No. Like for all we know, for all we know, Pence got an invite to Baron's birthday party. <laughs> we, we don't, we don't know. Exactly. So until, until you show what's in the envelopes, you can't just assume it's the worst possible thing. I know. I know. And, and who's, who's going to say like everybody got the same thing in the envelope it could have been just about the optics because maybe even way back then they knew that they wanted the optics to look like pence was freaking deep state just sure. for how things are playing out right now um as far as the coin i don't buy into that either i mean how do we not know that every after every presidential election this the president of the senate gets a commemorative coin a com commemorative coins are a big thing in government i mean right. they throw those things around like like skittles they're they're everywhere i mean how do we know that's not just what he got so, yeah, so again I mean, if, if you're gonna bribe if you're going to bribe somebody for stealing an election and, you know, unilaterally not rejecting it, you're not going to give them a coin worth, what, $10 publicly in front of everybody. You're probably going to wire them a million dollars behind the scenes to an offshore account. Right? right. So I don't think any of that matters. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. Go ahead, Ivan. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of people coming into this thought that it was going to be like a slugfest, absolute beatdown brawl between John and myself. I mean, we agree on on a lot of stuff, right? This one in particular, I'm going to very violently agree with you on. I, it's fantastical to think that like, like you framed it, those coins are a dime a dozen. They're transferred back and forth. I mean, you can create the optics all oh, 30 pence. I, I actually like it. You know, I use 30 pence all the time, but uh, yeah, I mean, to, to say that it's something more than what uh, just a normal coin uh, it's somewhat of a stretch, but what is telling what isn't a stretch for me is that, elbow bump that 
between him and uh, Nancy Pelosi, it's almost as though they're gloating that, oh, yeah, we got this. We did it. We certified it. And you're going to be now the protector of the deep state in 2024 for doing so. Okay. And you're going to get a book deal. We're going to take care of you. Nobody at MSDNC, CNN, or uh, Phone News is going to talk bad about you. And we're only going to set the frame so that you become the next president in 2024. And that was, in my opinion, uh, kind of the deal. And they consummated it with the, the elbow bump. John? Yeah, I don't. I don't. Know I want to hear the counter. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I do. I, I, I did. There was something else. Uh, one more thing, guys. Uh, recently, there's a man named Derek Johnson who put forward a theory that uh, President Trump is still president based upon uh, a series of executive orders. John, I know that you've done more research into the EOs than pretty much anybody out there I know, and I was wondering what your take on that was. Yeah, I mean, I, I got sent that video from so many people, and um, the, the guy seems like a good guy. He's former military, military, I believe, and so obviously thank him for his service. Uh, just based on the video alone, like, I, I came out, some of the claims he made in that first video, like 25 minutes in or something, was, you know, Executive Order 13848 specifically says November 3rd, 2020. How did Trump know about that? And then specifically says stuff about maritime law, and so, like, it, it does not specifically say either of those things. And so that's just big red flag for me. I'm not, I wasn't attacking him. I'm just attacking the information. Sure. I do that with everybody. And I think everybody should question information like that. Right. And so I stopped watching that at that point, because that's, that's a red flag for me. If you're going to be presenting information as, as fact, and it's not fact, that's, that's not okay. So um, yeah, I believe I, somebody sent me videos that he maybe corrected the record, whatever. Uh, I, I don't even think Trump is still, <clears throat> still present. That's not what devolution is. He, he, be serving more of almost a, an advisory role. He, he set sure. things up for a continuity of government to protect things in the background while they basically dismantle the Biden administration piece by piece. And that's what we've seen happen. Now it's just a matter of him somehow getting back or when he comes back, whatever. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Okay. Ivan, are you aware of that, that video at all? Yeah, I got a lot of people sent that to me. So, you know, after you get a few people saying, hey, take a look. I mean, I think it's out of respect for those that sent it to me. I did take a look at the entire thing. Uh, I do appreciate. I don't remember the gentleman's name. Derek Johnson. Derek Johnson. I appreciate his passion. Obviously, he's done research more so than most of society out there. I can only give him kudos for that. But I'll agree with uh, John on this one that there were some components of it that it just factually was not correct based on what I've done in terms of research. Uh, but, you know, a majority of it was factual and I don't agree with it. Culturally right now, it comes down to perception. Everything is perception is reality right now. Institutionally, a majority of our institutions still consider the Chinese ambassador to the United States. Who's currently squatting in the white house. They still call him a president, right? Mm-hmm. We collectively don't. But institutionally, we would agree that that's still the case mm-hmm. in terms of uh, in terms of the devolution piece. I wanted to hit on this point was. Uh, while theoretically, I agree that devolution based on the doctrine, based on all the legal analysis, uh, kind of your assessment that you've done, John, while it's theoretically possible that that could be taking place. I mean, it's brilliant how you put it together. Culturally. And this come this comes down to a difference in assumptions. Culturally, I don't see that that be that's within the realm of possibility. Considering that I've spent the last twenty five years within the Department of Defense, I just I know a lot of junior, well, I, I, at this point, mid and senior officials 
in the system up to and including former deputy assistant secretaries of defense that would also agree with me and say that is not that's not within the realm of possibility culturally for the institution to do that why not when the jet well when the chairman of the joint chiefs put out the memo saying that we have nothing to do with elections domestically remember that by millie that was the clearest indication as soon as that was put out I, i actually agree with that assessment the department of defense should not have any role unless there's that that foreign component right that's when basically millie indicated that no we're not we're not going to be involved in this and then some of the statements that he made publicly about president trump that ended up uh, i think coming out in the j6 committee uh as well as the uh the the statements that he made in response to pence ordering him around uh i mean that that's just me and i'd love to hear kind of what your maybe counter to support that that's possible well, well, what do you think about the military's response to an attack? Like, what's their duty there? And what's the president's duty if he sees a, a country, you know, interfering in our elections? It, it's part of our election infrastructure. It's part of critical infrastructure. If if Trump saw that and walked away, he would have been derelict in his duties, right? Agreed. Okay. Agreed. I, think we- <laughs> I, I'm, I agree with that point. But again, institutionally, he is one human being. Yes, he has the title of president. But when when the media and the entire ecosystem has shoved down your throat this fake narrative, yep. you don't have the staff to be able to withstand to do the right thing. Unfortunately, you had I mean, who was in that meeting on December 18th? Right. That repelled what should have been done. I I'll, let me finish with this point. A lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, military use in the election. That's so fantastical. That's crazy talk. I argued that the only limited instance of using the military in this remedying of the 2020 election would have been to deploy or request that the National Guard of the six contested states be deployed to the capital of that respective state, right, Madison, uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, et cetera, et cetera, to ensure and facilitate the joint legislative session of that state to hold a vote on their allocation of their electors. That would have been the cleanest way. And you're not coercing them into voting in any way. You're just basically facilitating and staying there until they hold a vote. That was okay, so, the military aspect that could have been done. So so this is my take on it. You, you kind of said the whole reason that devolution I believe is, is taking place is because the, the optics of everything, the narrative and everything was lined up against him. He, he had no choice, but to walk away. Otherwise there probably would have been some sort of civil war, but at the same time, by just simply walking away and legitimately handing over the keys to the Biden administration, you're handing over the keys to the CCP. There are financial ties and all this corruption and everything between. I've seen the draft Biden, of the hundred Biden laptop yep, report. I mean, that all it's working on. Yep, all this. I mean, there's so many. He's literally handing over America to our enemies, and I don't think Trump, being the guy he is, I, I've read through every single one of his presidential documents, all 1,131 of them, at least like six or seven times. Some of those executive orders and documents I've read through multiple times. Okay, so this guy is the most pro-American individual on the face of the planet. 
I cannot in my mind reconcile Trump just letting that happen. So I, I, there had to have been something more. And that, that's where all the circumstantial evidence comes into place. C- culturally, in any of these agencies, yeah, it's it's like, okay, that's, there's no way that's possible. But what he did with Executive Order 13961 is he completely, he revamped our uh, our con- continuity of government program. Uh, instead of with having to maintain all eight national essential functions, they literally might only be maintaining us not getting invaded. And you don't need, you don't need, millions or thousands or hundreds of people even you just need the key guys in the key spots calling the, the key shots to submit the orders when things go down or when you need them to yeah and so it, it doesn't need to be this big monolithic thing it, it can be so compartmentalized and so small and individual and i think that that's the whole point of this too is like you look at something like this and you almost want people to think like yeah there's just no way that's possible you can pull that off but the way he did it and set it up, and and that executive order too, executive order thirteen nine six one, it's a continuity of government plan, and it was based on Title forty seven or yeah, Title forty seven or United States State Code Chapter fifty, which is War and National Defense. The entire thing was based on War and National Defense. And if you look at the language that he used in the strategy document that he submitted with it, that both came out the same day. The strategy is what was implemented by the executive order. The language he used is almost identical to the. A regular warfare annex that Ezra Cohen Watnick submitted and came out on October 2nd, nearly a month before the Sloan election. And then you tie in the Rich Higgins memo and his connections to Ezra Cohen Watnick. You have Chris Miller. And like, why would he make all those moves at the DOD, putting in an irregular warfare specialist? And you look at a regular warfare and psyops and all this stuff that's that's right up Chris Miller's alley. That's all we've seen unfold right now is, is a complete psyop against our own country by the good guys, tearing them away from the grips of the mainstream media narrative. That's all we've seen. And we're, we're reaching this, this climax here of all of these narratives have been already destroyed. The, the COVID, all this stuff, everybody's pissed off at Biden. He's pulling as low as possible. And now we're seeing all this election fraud proof come out. I mean, it's, it's impossible to look at the, the totality of everything that's happened and just simply write it off because culturally it doesn't make sense. Right. It, it, it's just, it's, there's too much. I need a chance to respond. <laughs> yeah, feel free, man. Cause you hit a lot there. Many contraindications to what you're saying. Separately, all those things that you said, got it. So let me let me try to hit these uh, one by one. So in terms of being being compartmentalized, right? So the people that would be that would be the ones to implement that they give off so many indicators and contraindications of it. So like general, what? who are going to be involved, right? Secretary of Defense, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, yep. Continuity of Government, Government, right? You look at all those individuals involved in that process. What have they said publicly? What have they indicated? Where are they located? I mean, those are. All right, let's why, start with. Why Why would they as, talk about any of this publicly, though? Why would they put anything out there but opposite of what's going on? I mean, there's an entire joint publication in the, you know, the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff put out publications. That's the doctrine for how our military operates. There's an entire one on military deception. They're going to they're going to throw some KFAB in there now and then to throw people off. Gentlemen, gentlemen, I think we've got to say this because there's some stuff that I've done. Uh, I got to go pick up my kids. And I hate to say it, I'm trying to be as convincing as possible. (laughs) I may or may not have been in some of this stuff, right? But at the end of the day, Ezra, when they elevated Ezra, right? Yep. ASD Solek to report not to the USDP, Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness, PR but directly to the Secretary of Defense. That was in order to circumvent 
the holdover USDPR individual that was basically blocking a lot of stuff from happening that, that we wanted to happen for a streamlined Chris Miller, Ezra, over to SOCOM for yep. for actioning. Because you had that one cog in the wheel that was just slow rolling stuff. That the was kind of, red tape. Yeah, to get out the red tape. I don't see anything more into that. Why? Because I may or may not know some folks up at that level. I, I just don't know what else to say. Culturally, Do you know Ezra? everyone quit. Culturally, everyone quit after, I can't remember the date. I was trying to get it so, so that we would get enough of a, a court of public opinion through my tweets, etc., to essentially explain to not only America, but the individuals at these institutions, whether it's DOD, DOD, U.S. government, White House, the campaign, that this ain't over. You have to kind of wait it out. But everybody was kind of already moving out and already gave up. And so as they were moving out and giving up, the transition teams were coming in and they were taking over and taking over. What's and what's the one area in the transition that the Trump administration didn't hand over to the Biden administration? I don't know. It, it, it was it, it, there was an article that came out from Politico in uh, December of 2020 where and remember who was running the the transition team for the DOD. It was Chris Miller's chief of staff, Cash Patel. They were they refused to provide information about current operations, particularly special operations stuff, for to the, the Biden first, administration. That lasted for about two weeks, and then they yep. had to do the transition. Yep, but the, but they were stolen elements, certain aspects of that. They also, were per, perhaps. How do we know they didn't hand it as much as possible? I was doing everything I could to to say hold off until January sixth, and then so, January sixth, Fed surrection happened. And we well, can talk about that details of that later. But. Gentlemen, I, I think we, we have to end it there. John's got to go pick up his kids. I've got to take a leak like nobody's business. Need to say thank you to Low Country Brooklyn. She says, thank you, John, Zach, and Ivan. Great show. Greenbeard says, great show, guys. Sloan TV, thank you. Sean and Anand says, wow, just wow, fellas. Uh, how far we've come since the beginning. Your boy Death says, uh, thank you for the overtime. Ohio Kimmy, thank you. Tracy PCB, thank you. Warrior Mima says, thank you for the overtime. Very interesting discussion. And Sloan TV says, Muffin Kate on steroids. Great show. Okay, so uh, I think at the end of the day, guys, uh, we agree on more than we disagree on. And uh, sure. all of this yeah. will come out in the wash. And uh, I always like to have an optimistic disposition about this. But I've had a great time speaking with both of you. I really appreciate it. Uh, obviously we'll continue to speak in the future and, uh, thank you to everybody out there in the audience. We're going to close it out and go ahead and get your gold pills on the way out. After this, the audio podcast is coming out. Help me out. Share it until then. Thank you, Ivan. Thank you, John. Good luck, everyone. Thanks, Ivan. And God bless. Yep. At the end of the exactly. day, we're both deep state marauders. <laughs> there you there go. go. <laughs> or all three of us. <laughs> Thanks guys. Okay.